Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Guardian. It was the end of the summer 2014. I started to feel really tired for no good reason and I was getting a bit fat around the middle and my appetite was sort of falling away a bit and so nothing kind of made sense I think the thing that really made me realize something was wrong was that I was peeing all the time. This is Emma Holston an art director living in London she was first diagnosed with cancer in 2014. I'm quite an optimist and I know quite a lot about cancer and I know that survival rates are sort of um, much better these days so my initial thought was, okay, it doesn't mean you're definitely going to die. But then she told me that it was this rare type of cancer that was very aggressive and had a very poor prognosis. Emma was told she had small cell carcinoma of the ovary, hypercalcemic type, which is not only extremely rare, but has no standard treatments. I tried not to Google it for a little while, but then when I did, it was, it was like literally the most awful moment of my life, finding out sort of results of what other patients had gone through. So I realised I was up against quite a challenge. The original tumour was removed through surgery, and Emma then went through six months of chemotherapy. At the end of this treatment, there was no sign of the disease. Although she was delighted to hear that news, Emma had also been told there was a strong possibility of the cancer returning. It grows very fast. So at one point when we were really tracking it, it was growing about a centimetre a week. We're keeping an eye on things every three months. We'd go back in for scans, but because it's such a fast-growing cancer, and I was still looking out for the signs as well, it, it kind of grew back quite quickly um, in between scans. So we missed it until I went in. At the point when the tumour grew back, Emma had a busy career, and she and her partner Matt were in the middle of planning their wedding. Her doctors told her that the treatment used the last time wasn't an option again. And there was two options for me, um, a drug trial or immunotherapy, which seemed to be the right sort of things to do. And this drug trial was available in my hospital, so it's amazing. Um, it was free, um, but it was an experiment. <laughs> so you're, you're starting a drug that you don't really know what it will do to you. Um, but I gave that a go. And after only a few weeks, it was causing terrible side effects and clearly not working at all for me so we were forced into the situation of giving immunotherapy a go. Immunotherapy is covered by the NHS for a number of cancers such as some lung cancers and melanoma but not Emma's because of its rarity. So I was caught in this conundrum of being a rare cancer uh, where things aren't really licensed or there's not a standard treatment for them so I'd have to pay for it. The cost of immunotherapy treatment is extremely high. 
with the administration costs as well, we worked out it's about 114,000 a year. And at that point, somebody had sort of told us that if it was successful, I might be on that treatment for a few years. On top of feeling physically unwell, Emma now needed to find a way to raise hundreds of thousands of pounds. I think being British, you hate asking for money. I'm not somebody that ever asks for money or wants to borrow money from people. But I realised it was sort of such an amount of money that even with all my savings and everything combined, I probably wouldn't be able to carry on paying for the drug. So it just so happened to coincide with our wedding and people started saying to us, what, what do you want as a wedding present? And we sort of like, oh, well, we really need some money. So a few friends had started coming up with ideas of fundraising. And so we started to think, oh, well, if we put together a, a GoFundMe site or a sort of fundraising site, and um, we can put all these things in one place and it would be make it easy for people. Emma wrote up her story to explain why this campaign was so important and why any donation would help ease her stresses. We were in a really tough spot at that point and I remember going to hospital and having some really difficult conversations with doctors and then we, we happened to check one of those days and that the figure had jumped right up to an amount of money that was going to make such a huge difference to us. More than 12,000 people donated £263,000 to Emma's campaign, something she still can't quite get her head around, even two years into remission. And also, I think because all those people are sort of willing you on, it's like such goodwill and such positive wishes for you. I think it sort of gave me a real boost, sort of mentally, which I think helped physically. And Emma's experience with GoFundMe isn't rare. We've had more than $5 billion donated uh, over the years to GoFundMe campaigns, more than 50 million donors, and it's safe to say that we have tens of millions of people who donate to campaigns on an annual basis. Crowdfunding platforms like GoFundMe have shown just how generous people can be to complete strangers. But it raises the question, just how do people on these online platforms manage to gain our trust? I'm Jordan Erica Weber. And this is Chips With Everything. Online crowdfunding first started appearing around the turn of the millennium, with big crowdfunding websites like Indiegogo, Kickstarter and GoFundMe launching at the end of the last decade. Artists and musicians have used these platforms to gather funds for a book or an album. People like Emma have raised money for medical treatments. Almost anyone can use these sites, and not always for something so wholesome. When the English far-right activist Tommy Robinson was jailed in May 2018 for contempt of court, some of his followers used crowdfunding platforms to try to raise money to free him. He was released on bail in August 2018 and released from that bail in November, but it's not known if any of the money raised contributed to his release. So, where do these websites come from? Hi there, I'm Rob Solomon, and I am the CEO at GoFundMe. GoFundMe is one of the biggest crowdfunding platforms out there. It was created by Brad Damphouse and Andrew Ballister back in 2010. Producer Danielle rang Rob at the company's Silicon Valley offices in California, and he told her more about its inception. They wanted to come up with a way for you know, immediate uh, friends, family, local communities to come together to help pay for things. And they didn't have a, an express purpose in, in solving 
healthcare funding or, or emergency related funding. It just took on a life of its own over time. But, but you know, they, they were just very keen on creating a frictionless platform that helped people raise money when other people needed help. Quickly. Quickly, exactly. GoFundMe can currently be used to start campaigns in 19 countries, but the company has recorded donations coming in from more than 150 countries. People create campaigns for all sorts of reasons. The biggest categories are people who need help with medical-related expenses. Then comes emergencies, things like floods and wildfires and unexpected emergencies. Memorials would be the third largest category. And then it it breaks off into many different things. So education is is a big category where I need help to pay for my college education. I've been accepted into a study abroad program, but I can't afford to get there. Um, So education is a big one. Community-related projects um, are are very big. Things related to... One news story that brought a lot of people to the website was the partial government shutdown in the United States in January 2019, which left 800,000 federal workers without work for more than a month. Yeah, the government shutdown is a great example of that. We've had more than 1,500 campaigns started on the platform, more than half a million dollars raised already. And then we have this phenomenon of uh, moments out there that become movements. So early in 2018, the Time's Up movement kicked off with the award season in Hollywood. And and some of the most powerful women in Hollywood created the Time's Up movement, and it became the largest campaign we've had on our platforms. It was over $22 million, and it's still an active campaign, and, and we see people donating um, a year later every, every day to the campaign. So moments become movements, and that's a really interesting phenomenon that's just getting started in the last year or so. Of course, GoFundMe needs to make its own money too. Emma told us that when she set up her campaign, GoFundMe took a percentage as payment. But last year, they changed their business model. In the old business model, we would take a 5% fee from the campaigns that ran on the platform. And we started to think a lot about, you know, what is the best thing we can do for the campaign organizers? And, you know, these are folks who are raising money in very desperate situations. And we switched the model to a free model where all of the money raised goes to the campaign organizer. And we ask donors for a voluntary tip um, during the checkout process. And, and of course, on top of that is a credit card processing fee. Um, but you know, by and large, all the money goes to the campaign organizer minus the credit card processing fee. GoFundMe has also started looking at ways to make the website more trustworthy. We've seen news stories about people making up stories to elicit sympathy and raise money for a bogus campaign. So although it's not foolproof, the company has been working on its security strategy. We aren't the arbiter of whether a cause is a good cause or a worthy cause. That's up to the communities of people who come together around these causes. So what we do is we have a trust and safety team. We have something called the GoFundMe Guarantee. We have a lot of tools in place to evaluate campaigns. We use machine learning and we use some artificial intelligence. So we use a lot of technology to um, vet campaigns. We'll look at the body of language of a, of a campaign and, and we'll use our, our machine learning and AI techniques to figure out you know, what might be the purpose of this campaign. We want to make sure that if somebody says they're raising money for someone else, that in fact we know who that other person is. So we have a lot of safeguards in place to protect people. At, 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 you know, we've gotten really good at, at using a combination of technology, process and people to vet these campaigns, to see if any of these campaigns are violating our terms of service. If they are violating the terms of service, they're removed. We also have this community that's 50 million people strong, perhaps even more than that, 
who let us know if, if something doesn't look right. So there's a lot going on behind the scenes to keep the platform safe. At the essence of what's most important at GoFundMe is, is trust. Let's talk about trust. When I first started spending a lot of time online as a child around the turn of the century, I was told to be careful who I spoke to and what information I gave them. So how have we ended up feeling confident enough to give money to complete strangers online? Through these images, through these stories that people also share on these crowdfunding platforms, people become very close and also essentially very trusting of these people, even though they don't essentially know that person. More on that after this short break. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. I'm Lee Glendening, and in this month's We Need to Talk About podcast, our panel respond to Guardian supporter questions on education. How can countries around the world take the politics out of their education systems? How can we grow and keep our teachers and give them greater ownership of their profession? And with the creative arts being sidelined in the curriculum, how can we better support well-being in schools? That's We Need to Talk About Education. To have a listen, head over to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Welcome back to Chips With Everything. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. This week, we're looking at crowdfunding platforms and how the people who use them to raise money are able to gain our trust. I'm not really sure if we trust people more online. I don't think there is actually a change, but I mean, we do trust people and we do trust uh, people depending on how they present themselves. Dr. Cornelia Reyes Acosta is a lecturer in digital methods in digital humanities at King's College London. So online you will see that uh, loads of people, they upload um, pictures of themselves, they upload videos, and that gives us an opportunity as an audience to gather a lot of information about these people. So you wrote this paper in 2016 about getting data on social relationships. Mm -hmm. And in it, you wrote online forms of social interaction require a new understanding of an extended and disembodied sociality. Can you explain what you <laughs> meant by that? What I meant, so traditionally, when we talk about social relationships, we think of the relationship I have with my mother, with my best friends, and what we see with these relationships, they all have a narrative. Yeah, so they have all formed over time. 
we know these people for a long time. We probably talk to them quite frequently, and uh, we also like them very much. So this is our traditional understanding of how we create relationships. And naturally, what we do uh, consider usually as conducive to forming these relationships is a sort of like shared social space. So we meet with somebody in a cafe. Um, we, I don't know, have dinner together. Online, this is different because we don't share a physical space. But that doesn't mean that we do not establish intimacy with people. The success of online fundraising campaigns raises the question of whether our concept of a social relationship has changed. I don't think it has changed as such. I think people, when they speak of their best friends, uh, the people they are very close to. I think uh, nowadays still people think a lot about uh, a very small number of people, those people that are most important to them. And usually they will have also known these people for quite a long time. But what we also see is that people maintain more relationships that are fleeting. Typically, when you ask a person, how many friends do you have? they would uh, mention a, a small number of friends. But when you say how many, I mean, that's also the tricky bit. How do you ask somebody how many people do you know online? Most people will give you a number, but that doesn't mean that those people are friends. Those people are there to catch up with. So it has become a lot easier through these online tools to contact and get in touch with these people and then get out of touch with these people again. But it's not considered a problem. But when we speak about traditional, close, intimate social relationships, I think how people think about these types of relations that remains still very much the same. Earlier in the show, we heard from Rob Solomon, the CEO of GoFundMe. He says one of the most surprising phenomena to rise from the website is moment to movement. Cornelia explains why these movements are able to gain so much traction, not only on websites like GoFundMe, but on social media in general. It is definitely easier, especially when it's about very specific events. So if we say uh, we have we organize a rally or a protest today to uh, support um, women's rights or to support a specific uh, social group, because then you can communicate to a vast number of people that maybe follow that hashtag Me Too and inform them about what's happening. So it's become a lot easier to reach out to a large number of individuals individuals to keep them posted about what's going on. At the beginning of the show, we heard from Emma Holston. Mm -hmm. So more than 12,000 people donated to her campaign, raising £263,000 for cancer treatment. Uh So let's compare that to something like homelessness, for example. Mm -hmm. So we don't know whether those people who donated to her campaign would give money to people on the street. But I feel like we can know that there isn't a single person out there sleeping on the street who has managed to raise £263,000. So why is it that online campaigns where the beneficiary isn't there right in front of you raise more money than a real-life human being on the street? I would say that these people who start a GoFundMe campaign, like Emma, for example, they are not perceived a stranger by all these people who decided to ne- to donate to her campaign. Because through her sharing her story, through her updates on her condition, sharing a little bit of context of how, how it even happened, how she was diagnosed, all these gave people an opportunity to form a sort of like intimate bond with her. 
through these images, through these stories that people also share on these crowdfunding platforms, people become very close and also essentially very trusting of these people, even though they don't essentially know that person. I wonder if there's something in a comparison to ghosting, for instance. So mm -hmm. you talk about how it's it's much easier to break off relationships that you form online because mm -hmm. you can just, you know, you just not reply to their message and you'll never bump into them. Yeah. And maybe that's a similar thing with crowdfunding campaigns. Mm -hmm. With someone online who you, you're never going to meet, you can just donate the money and then forget about them. But if it's a person on the street that you walk past every day, yes. uh -huh. maybe you give them 10 pounds, but then you see them again the next mm -hmm. day. Do you think that contributes? So sometimes when we see a person in real life, we feel a certain obligation, especially when we see that person again to kind of maybe ask them, oh, how are you doing today? So all these are forms of investments, relational investments that maybe not everybody is prepared to give. And you're right, online, all that's not the case. I donate my money. I can, I feel good about myself and I have essentially done a good Deed. Yeah, I've helped a person who is obviously in need of support. So I can feel good about myself, but I don't necessarily have to invest a huge amount of relational energy in further sustaining that bond with that particular person. So do you think crowdfunding platforms will remain popular in future? very popular. We will see many people, amateurs, who produce content, who develop products, who maybe have an idea but lack uh, financial capital to maybe get that idea started. They will all go to crowdfunding platforms to ask other people who share a similar interest for help. We will see that happening more and more in the future. That's all for this week. Huge thanks to Emma Holston, Rob Solomon and Cornelia Reyes-Acosta for talking to us this week. From next week, you'll find us in your podcast feed on a Monday, which means if you're listening to this episode on the day it came out, then you only have to wait three days for the next one. So to brighten up the start of your week, make sure to listen to the latest digital culture news on Monday mornings from now on. And thanks to Guardian Jobs, which sponsored this week's episode of Chips. Guardian Jobs can help you find your good company at gu.com slash good company. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. Thanks for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to no. bring something like this to life. And yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend <laughs> that I don't right Hold now. it in. Hold and our current faves. And Luffy must have his due. <laughs> Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.